This Cap Times podcast is brought to you by Exact Sciences Corporation, the makers of Colaguard. Learn more at exactsciences.com. Welcome to On the Cover, a weekly Madsplainers feature. I'm podcast producer Natalie Yar, and each week I sit down with the reporter behind our latest cover story to find out why it matters. National attention has been focused on Wisconsin since Sunday evening, when Kenosha police shot Jacob Blake, a black man, in the back, leaving him paralyzed from the waist down. Since Sunday, protesters have filled the streets of Kenosha and Madison, calling for an end to police violence against black Americans. Today, I'm here with Cap Times local government reporter and Madsplainers co-host Abigail Becker, who's been tracking local efforts to hold police accountable since 2016. Her latest cover story examines two measures that could finally take effect and what those measures can and can't do. Abby, good to talk to you. Hi, Natalie. Great to speak with you, too. So first off, our listeners have probably heard about the shooting of Jacob Blake, but what else should we know about what happened on Sunday? Well, what we know is that according to a video, Blake was walking to a vehicle with his back toward police. Two officers follow him with their guns drawn. And then as Blake opens a car door, an officer grabs his shirt and shoots him in the back. In the video, seven gunshots can be heard before we hear a car horn, um, which sounded off as Blake slumped forward after being shot. Then in the video, you hear a woman who followed them to the vehicle screaming. A 22-year-old man who claimed to have made the video told the Associated Press that he saw Blake um, scuffling with three officers and heard them yell, drop the knife, drop the knife, before gunfire erupted. This person said he didn't see a knife in Blake's hands. Three of Blake's children were in the car when he was shot, according to the family's attorney, Benjamin Crump. Um, Early Tuesday morning, the Chicago Sun-Times reported that Blake is paralyzed from the waist down. Doctors don't know yet if that injury is permanent. And how does this incident fit into Kenosha Police Department history? Well, it's not the first time that a Kenosha police officer shot a resident of Kenosha. In 2004, an officer shot and killed Michael Bell, who was 21 at the time. Over the next 10 years, Bell's father launched his own investigation into that incident, in addition to a public campaign calling for greater police accountability. His efforts led to a first-in-the-nation law signed by former Governor Scott Walker mandating that outside investigators review incidents when an officer is involved with a loss of life. This process is in place today with the Wisconsin Department of Justice's Division of Criminal Investigation. Now, DCI is reviewing the incident with assistance from the Wisconsin State Patrol and the Kenosha County Sheriff's Office. The officers involved in the incident have been placed on administrative leave. And so what happens next regarding Sunday's shooting? Yeah, so, so DCI will continue its investigation and turn over a report to the Kenosha County DA's office, which typically happens within 30 days, according to the Department of Justice. The DA will then review the report and decide whether to level any charges. If no charges are brought forward, the division will make the report available to the public. At a press conference Monday, one local resident named Terrence Worthen 
was calling for lasting change. You know, he was speaking to those at the press conference and talking about how, um, you know, news media with the camera crews, they're going to be gone in a week or two. Maybe a lot of the protesters will be gone as well. But people like him and his community will still be in Kenosha. Those of us in this city whose loved ones, whose livelihoods, and whose hearts are here will still be here. I need to do everything you can to help us find justice in this case for everyone and a lasting justice for this community. The divisions that we see played out nationally and statewide need to end with this. It's also worth noting that on Monday, Governor Tony Evers called on the Republican-led legislature to act on bills that he said would bolster transparency in the state's approach to law enforcement. The special session call urges lawmakers to convene on August 31st. Uh, However, a top legislative Republican has already rejected that directive. And in Madison, after years of meetings and reports by outside consultants, the city is preparing to finally implement some new measures designed to monitor police actions and hold police accountable for misconduct. Tell me about these proposed measures. So these recommendations are to create an independent auditor and a civilian oversight board. They are the result of studies conducted by the OIR group, which is a California-based consulting team, and an ad hoc committee created by the city that studied the Madison Police Department and policing issues for about five years. These two groups each offered over 100 recommendations, but the accountability measures are cornerstone proposals of them all. Now, the independent monitor would report to a 13-member civilian oversight board, which would hire the monitor, conduct an annual review of the police chief, and make policy recommendations to the police, among other responsibilities. The board members would be chosen by nine community organizations. So how that would work is each organization will submit three candidates, with the mayor and city council choosing nine from the group. And then the mayor and city council will also each choose two members. An auditor and board would allow for an independent person, an independent entity, to observe patterns emerging in the police department, uh, possibly recommend changes to shift those if needed, as well as investigate cases of wrongdoing. Also, residents would have resources to bring forward complaints against officers if they have them. And, you know, this could also be a formal step into additional reviews by the Police and Fire Commission. You know, as Keith Finley, who was a co-chair of the ad hoc committee, described, it would mean that the aggrieved community in Madison would have a mechanism for being heard. What kind of power would the Civilian Review Board and the Independent Police Monitor have? The Independent Monitor would have the capacity to examine policies, patterns, and practices, and promote long-term systemic changes on an ongoing basis. This position would have the power to access MPD records, issue subpoenas, develop reports and recommendations, and conduct investigations. But it's important to note that it would not take the place of the Police and Fire Commission, which has hiring, firing, and disciplinary powers and gets its authority from state statutes. The independent auditor could refer cases to the PFC, um, which again retains that personnel authority and can make recommendations. So this is an additional level of community oversight and sort of transparency, but it would still have to work alongside the police and fire commission that's already in place. You know, it's really quite a challenging position 
as I understand it, to implement because its effectiveness depends on how independent the person is from local government and the police department. Greg Galembeck, who was a member of the ad hoc committee, said that in other cities where something similar has been implemented, people have ended up disappointed because the positions are often changed during the implementation process that end up you know, having them wield less influence. And M. Adams, co-executive director of Freedom Inc., argues that accountability measures won't work if they don't give people power to force change. People cannot be accountable to something that does not have power over them. If you do not have power of something, you can suggest, Mm. you can recommend, you can hope, you can beg, you can plead. But you cannot make them accountable. So what does the Madison Police Department say about these proposals? Well, in its response to the OIR report, which was published in 2017, the MPD didn't oppose the concept of an independent monitor and said it would approach any effort to create such a position with openness and transparency and with the objective of developing a workable structure. Their statement also noted that cities with such positions you know, had a history of insufficient internal accountability and are from states without a body like the Police and Fire Commission which has that statutory authority. The statement also noted that cities with such positions have a history of insufficient internal accountability and are from states without a body like the Police and Fire Commission. The MPD said in that statement that neither of those situations apply to Madison. Do they mean that maybe these structures aren't necessary given what Madison already has in place and its history? I think the statement was getting at that the MPD does have internal review processes in place and that it might not be, you know, completely necessary. I think the MPD was drawing a distinction between, um, you know, itself, which has a history of progressive policing, which the OIR group, you know, noted early on in its report, and comparing that to other cities which might have, you know, more longstanding problematic issues when compared to the police department here in Madison. Got it. And previously, interim police chief Vic Wall said that the MPD isn't opposed to the auditor position and that the, quote, devil is in the details. And why did it take so long to get to this point? Why is this finally happening now? This work has really been going on since the ad hoc committee was formed in 2015, following the police shooting of Tony Robinson, who was a black teenager from Madison. The community response team, which is the group that Greg is a part of, has been working since the police shooting of Paul Heenan in 2012. You know, it's taken this long to conduct these comprehensive studies of the police department and gain input from community members, experts, elected officials, and the police department. And, you know, even after the studies were completed in, you know, 2017 and 2019, Another difficult task was just beginning of crafting the ordinances that, you know, will ultimately guide uh, these proposals. You know, the ordinances and resolutions tied to creating the auditor and board are what's before the Public Safety Review Committee and the Common Council Executive Committee this week. Um, Those recommendations will move toward the City Council, which is meeting next week on Tuesday. Wow. So this change could be coming really soon. Potentially, yes. And what will you be watching for next? Well, I'll certainly be following what the committees make of these proposals, as well as if any changes are made to them ahead of the city council meeting next week. If they are approved, I'll definitely be watching how they're implemented and looking further out how they potentially operate in practice. Definitely. We'll be watching for those developments. Abby, thank you so much for being on the podcast. It's so lovely to talk to you, Natalie. Mm -hmm. 
Thanks for listening to my conversation with Abigail Becker, who's been keeping Cap Times readers informed about local government since 2016. Tune in next week for a conversation about our next cover story. If you enjoyed this podcast, please subscribe to the Mad Splainers on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever else you do your listening, and leave us a review while you're there. Also, be sure to check out our other podcasts, including The Corner Table, all about food and drink in Madison, and Wedge Issues, all about state politics. Until next time, thanks for listening. This podcast has been brought to you by Exact Sciences Corporation, the makers of Colaguard. Once again, be sure to learn more at exactsciences.com.